This, this series has just been awesome for me personally. Um, we've, we've gotten a ton of feedback from it. I think it's just, it's just God's word, especially Romans 8, when it comes to our identity in Christ, it just paints this amazing, beautiful, clear picture of who we are in Christ and everything that God has truly done for us. And Romans 8 is just filled with these crazy, amazing promises as so much of scripture is. And we're getting to that point in the series where Paul begins to, to deal with something that I, I'm not sure that gets dealt with in our personal lives a lot. And, and that is dealing with unbelief in the life of a believer. He wants to deal with unbelief in the life of a believer. He wants to start answering a question that I think many of us tend to struggle with in different seasons of our life. And, and, and it's this kind of reality. I'm just gonna see if I can just paint this a little bit. There are many, so many genuinely, authentically saved people, people who have truly put their faith in Christ, truly believe in Jesus, and, and that faith is real, and they're truly, they're saved, they're filled with the Spirit of God, they're sons and daughters of God, but they struggle so much in their life. They struggle so much with sin in their life, so much with foolishness, so much with just the desires of the flesh, so much so that at times they feel so overwhelmed by this reality that they struggle to believe the promises that exist in Scripture. I heard an old, old preacher say, uh, the greatest thing that a preacher could do is convince believers to believe the Bible. I never fully got that when I was younger until I started to walk my own life and live my own relationship with Jesus. And then I really began to comprehend the fullness of what that old preacher meant. Because we come to faith in Christ and we put our belief in Jesus, but then when we go through something like Romans 8, and we see all these crazy promises about our life, all of these guarantees about our life, all of these things that God says isn't going to be true in some future tense, but is true right now. And then I look at my life, and I look at those promises, and there seems like there's this disconnect between what the Bible says is 100% true in your life and will be 100% true every day that you live in this earth then I see my own life, and the divide is so big, I struggle to be a believing believer. And, and, and Paul addresses this reality. Uh, for Paul, it's so important, and you'll find out why in just a minute. It's so important for people who have put their faith in Christ to not just believe that Christ died for the forgiveness of our sins, but to believe the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of the promises, because it's in believing those promises that open up doors for us to live the life that Christ actually died to give us. He says there's, there's, a, there's a belief issue, and he's going to do everything in his power right here to convince you that everything that God said is going to happen in your life is, in fact, going to happen. And he's going to do this to try to build your faith, because he knows, like so many people, he knows that there's going to come a season in your life as you begin to walk with Christ when the reality of what the Bible says about where you should be or where you could be versus where you are 
And he wants to make sure when you get into that season, and maybe you're there right now, that you can believe beyond the shadow of a doubt these promises over your life so you can put your focus on those promises and then partake in the things that God has designed to give you. And that may not make sense, but it will here in just a minute. So I want to read this because he goes for 30 verses and he gives us promise after promise after promise after promise. And then in Romans 8, 31, he stops and he takes a breather and then he's going to try to convince you in these two powerful verses convince you to fully believe everything that we have just learned about our identity in Christ. Everything from uh, the very first promise being there is no condemnation in Christ. You are fully and utterly saved, fully and utterly justified, and no one can bring condemnation to you. That, that all the way to the promise of God will work in everything you ever face and everything you ever deal with, even the most darkest, tragic moments in life, things that you would never think that God could use for good, that in his goodness and his power, he will use them anyway that he never leaves you, that he never forsakes you. In every other promise between salvation and that moment, you stand before Christ in all of eternity. Everything that we've learned in Romans 8 over the last few weeks, he comes to this moment and he says, okay, now what shall we say to these things? What is our response going to be to these things? What are we gonna say? What are we gonna do in response to the promises that we just heard? And this is a big deal because a lot of times I think when we hear stuff or we learn something or we gather something in, we rarely ever think, okay, now what is our responsibility to the things that we've just learned or the things that we now know? Responsibility is a funny word. Responsibility literally at its most base meaning, it means you have the ability to respond. If you have the ability to respond, then you have a responsibility to move forward with the thing that you have an ability to respond to. If you don't have an ability to respond to it, then you don't have any responsibility towards it. And so what, what Paul's beginning to open up to you is there was a significant amount of things that prior to knowing Christ, prior to being filled with the Spirit, prior to being sons and daughters of God, prior to having the Spirit in you to intercede according to the purpose of God, prior to, to knowing these things, you did not have an ability to respond to so much. But now that all these things are true in your life, you now have the ability to respond. And so Paul says, now that you have all these promises, now that you have all of this truth, now that you have the fullness of, of what it is to, to be fully in Christ, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? How are you going to respond to this truth? Now, we know by the follow-up statements that the context, Paul is trying to get you, your first and primary response is to believe them, to believe that God is gonna finish what he started to believe that God is going to accomplish in you what he started upon your salvation. And this is what he, he says. He goes to the second kind of rhetorical question. The first was, what then shall we say to these things? What is our response going to be? And the second one is, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is the one that saved you, if God is the one that plucked you out of the darkness, if God is the one that began the work of salvation in your life, if God is the one who promised transformation in your life, if God is the one who is doing this, 
Who can stop it? Who can stand against it? The answer is absolutely no one. What God started in your life, he 100% is going to finish, and nobody in heaven and nobody in hell and nobody on this earth is going to be able to stop God from doing the thing that he started in your life. And then he brings up the third question, which is the dagger to his argument, and I really want you to comprehend this. I really want you to grasp the reality of this. Because Paul, this is a, a significant truth that is so simple, but it, it, there's so much power in really understanding it and believing it, but that so often we don't use this same piece of wisdom in our own life as we walk through the struggles of our relationship with Jesus. This is what Paul says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So he says, I, I want you, just for a minute, I want, you, I want you to just believe the best that you can. I want you to believe in your heart of hearts in the most practical, spiritual, emotional way that you can that upon your salvation, God started a work in your life. And I want you to really understand what the cost was to start the work in your life. As Matthew says in the gospel, God graciously wanted to give you the kingdom. He, he wanted to fill you with his spirit. He wanted to be your father and he wanted you to be his children. He wanted to do these things. He wanted to be this in your life. And, and to give you that and to start that salvation, what it cost him was his own son. That was what began the work of salvation in your life, the death of his only begotten son, whom he loved deeply, who he was well pleased with. It was the death of Christ. He did not spare his own son. So Paul's logic is, if he did not spare his own son to begin the work of salvation and to begin the work of transformation in your life, why on earth would you ever doubt that he would not give you every single thing you would ever need in order for that purpose to fulfill and be accomplished in your life by the end of it all. It's like if you saw a strong man pick up 500 pounds, you would never doubt that he could pick up 400 pounds because you saw him pick up 500 pounds with your own eyes. In fact, it would be pretty foolish for us to see a man pick up 500 pounds and then when he says, I'm gonna pick up 200 pounds to doubt his strength because we saw him pick up 500 with his, our own eyes. This is what Paul's saying. You are a Christian because you believe that the son of the living God died on a cross for your sins, that the father looked into the depths of your life, seeing the sin in your life, seeing the rebellion in your life, seeing the hostility in your mind. And when you were at your worst, at that perfect timing, when you were at your worst, the Bible says that is when Christ died for you. And that is when the father sent Jesus to die for you. And Paul says, if he's gonna send his own son, why on earth would he not give you everything else you would ever need for these great and precious promises to be true in your life? That's what he's trying to get you to understand. He's trying to get you to believe in your heart of hearts, to have faith and to trust in your heart of hearts. Every single promise that is given to us in Romans 8 is 100% true. And he says, it's important 
that you believe that these things are true. So then the question is, why is it so important for us to believe that these promises are true? Why is it so important for us to have faith, not just in the basics of the gospel, not just in the reality that Christ died for our sins, but to have faith and trust and belief in every promise that God gives us in all of scripture, but very specifically in Romans 8 and throughout the New Testament about our purpose and our walk and our life with Christ. Why is it so important that we believe those promises in the same way that we believe Christ for salvation? Peter teaches us this. He answers this question in a very specific and powerful way in 2 Peter. And I think that all scripture is powerful. And I think that every ounce of it just is wisdom and knowledge and truth and can set you free and add so much value to your life. But there's a few subjects that tend to mean more to me when I know who they came from. And when Peter, and if you know anything about Peter, the reason that I love Peter so much is because we get to see the full process of Peter's life. We get to see who he was before Christ. We get to see how he was as a baby Christian. We get to see all of his immense weaknesses and immense failures. We get to see the fullness of who Peter was. And we get to see this, this guy who was born Simon, who was a loud mouth. He was arrogant. He was so, he talked so much that God had to shut him up with his own voice on the Mount of Transfiguration. If God has to thunder out his own voice in the earth to shut you up, you talk too much, okay? Peter talked too much. He wanted to be too involved in certain things. He, he had too much. He, this is the guy that, that looked Jesus in the face and said, if everybody else betrays you, I'm gonna die with you. And then he like ran away from a small little girl in fear just five hours after he made that promise. This is the guy that pulled out his sword, tried to cut a guy's head off and just nicked his ear. Like he couldn't even do the wrong thing right. Like this is Peter. He was a fisherman prior to Christ but we never actually see him catch any fish unless Jesus performs a miracle. So he's not even a good fisherman. There's nothing in Peter's life, Simon's life, that, that early man that we look at and we go, man, I really wanna be like that. There's nothing there. Just like when we look at who we were before Christ, we know the same thing. But we get to see this crazy, powerful transformation of Peter who becomes this great man of God, this powerful man of God who is preaching and teaching and planting churches. And literally, Christ builds his movement on the back of Peter's testimony and Peter's preaching of his walk in life with him. So when I see Peter talking about these promises, he knows them more than us because he lived them out and he experienced them in this life. And so what he's gonna tell me is gonna mean a lot to me because I know who he was and I know who he died as and whatever it was that he did as he walked through that process of this arrogant fisherman named Simon to becoming this great powerful man of God named Peter who died for his faith and changed the world around him, whatever that man has to say about this transformation process Process and about these promises, I want to know it because I want to experience it. Amen? 
And so this is what Peter says. He states in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, in his own way, he's saying the very same things that Paul spent several chapters trying to teach us, and specifically in the context of Romans 8. And so this is, this is what he says in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. He says, his divine power, God's divine power, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that you would ever need to live the life, the abundant life, the blessed life that Christ died to give us, everything that you would ever need, all things that you would need to live this life in that holy, powerful, wise, blessed, righteous way you have access to in your relationship with Jesus through the divine power of God. Everything that pertains to life and godliness. Now, I used to think that godliness meant holiness and holiness meant righteousness and righteousness meant holiness and they were all just synonyms of the same word and they're not. And I'm pretty sure I just said synonyms <laughs> and not synonyms, but they're not. Righteousness just means the right way. Whatever God says is right is righteous. It's his will, it's his ways, it's the truth. Holiness means to be set apart. Holiness is not righteousness and righteousness is not holiness and godliness is neither of the two. Godliness does not mean that you've perfected righteousness. It does not mean that you've perfected holiness. It does not mean that you're perfect in any way. What to be godly means that I care about what God thinks about my life. That when I go to live my life, I wanna live it in a manner that pleases him. I wanna know what he thinks. I wanna know what his perspective is. I wanna know. So these two things put together, he says, everything that you would ever need to live that abundant life that Christ died to give you and to be godly and to live a life of devotion and reverence to God and for God, everything that you would ever need for these two things to be true in your life, you have access to through your relationship with Christ by the divine power of God. You have access to it. This is the, 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 the question that Paul asked when he said, if God is for us, who can be against us? That, that wasn't written uh, for all like football. Like that's where we hear that the most. If God is for us, can Alabama beat us? No, absolutely not. Yeah, Alabama can beat you, okay? Most of the time they're gonna beat you. And, and that's just true. God's love you and he's for you. Alabama's still gonna win, probably most of the time. I know they just lost, I think. But I want, you to, I want you to understand that this is not, this wasn't like as much as everybody used to love Tim Tebow, and he said this all the time, has nothing to do with this stuff. It's not, you can't like walk in to get a raise and look at your boss and go, God is for me, who can be against me? Give me that raise. Probably gonna lose your job. Don't do that, okay? This is in the context of God radically transforming and changing your life from the lost, dark, weak sinner that we were all born as to the great and powerful, wise, righteous men and women of God that Christ died to make you. And he says, you have everything you ever need. And if God is for you, nobody can be against you. Nothing's stopping you then from getting these things and partaking in this. And he says, uh, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So remember the question we're trying to answer is why does Paul care so much that you believe these promises? Because it's through these precious and very great promises that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 
He says, it's these promises. It's you believing and trusting these promises that give you the opportunity, the availability, uh, the ability to partake in the divine nature of Christ himself. That means that everything that Christ is, you can be. That means the righteousness of Christ, the character of Christ, uh, the, the, the wisdom of Christ, the knowledge of Christ, the power to live righteously in Christ, the, the power to fulfill the will of God in your life. All that the divine nature is, it's through these promises that you partake of that divine nature in your life. This is the reason I love Peter so much. It's because though he, had, he, was, he was arrogant and he was cocky and he had so many issues, he was a drive. He had some drive. He wanted to get up and get it done. He wanted to work hard and he tried. In fact, I, I, would, I would take a Peter over a lazy person any day of the week. Peter was working his butt off constantly all the time. But what Peter learned in his life is that you will never be able to outwork your unbelief. You'll never be able to outwork the promises that you don't believe in God. So Peter wants you to understand this whole thing is a faith thing. This whole thing is a trust thing. This whole thing is a belief thing. He says, you've got to know these promises and you've got to believe them. This is what I said at the very opening of this series. All the promises that we're going to see, all of the parts of our identity in Christ that we're going to see, I said from the day one, you're going to understand all of them. You're going to know them. They're simple. God makes it so clear to us. It's not a matter of whether you understand them up here. It's not a matter of whether you can recite them and write them down. It's not a matter of whether you can post them on Facebook or put them on a t-shirt. It comes down to do you believe them? It's a faith thing. And so what Peter is saying to you, because you'll never be able to outwork your faith and your belief in these promises, meaning if you don't believe these promises, you'll never be able to work your way into the promises. You'll never be able to work your way into that transformation. You'll never be able to work your way in to becoming that great and mighty man and woman of God. He says, it's a faith thing, it's a belief thing, it's a trust thing. And he says, so because you have access to this and it's because these promises are what opens up the door for us to partake of the divine nature, he says, I want you to, in verse five, he says something that is so profound that it gets almost totally ignored. I think in the next 10 minutes, for many people in the room and many people at home, you're gonna have a question answered for you why it seems like your faith and your relationship with God isn't as effective or efficient as the Bible says that it could be. I think that the next verse five, I think is gonna help us understand the truth and the reality about why it seems there's that disconnect between where we are and the fruit that we see in our lives versus what the Bible says. I'm gonna, I think that verse five is gonna help you understand when you are ineffective and when you are unproductive in your faith and when that fruit isn't present and that, that harvest isn't there in your life in terms of transforming into Christ and becoming wise and powerful in God and fulfilling the will and living that abundant life that Christ died to give you. I think verse five is gonna help you understand exactly why. This is what he says. He says, for this very reason, 
because everything Paul says in Romans 8, because of everything Peter just said in verses three and four, because of every other thing that is taught to us in the Bible and specifically in the New Testament, he said, for this very reason, because you have access to these great and powerful promises. And these promises give you access to the very divine nature of God. He says, because you need to believe these promises, he says, I want you to make every effort to supplement your faith. And then he lists the things that you need to supplement your faith with. This is a concept that I don't hear often taught on. This is, a, this is what I tend to see in, in the church. I tend to see two forms of, of, of chasing God. There's this one side that's religious-based, that's works-based, that you go out, you, you drive hard, you just find the gumption, you just get to drive, and you just go, and you be perfect, and you be like Christ, and you raise the dead, and you do all these things. You just go, and you just do it. And they just yell at you. Do better. And it never helps anybody. That's wrong. That's religion. Then you have this other side that's like, they tend to be more gentle. They tend to be like, Jordan's so loud up there. I just wish he'd calm down. And they were probably raised in a church where it said, okay, this is your relationship with God. You just sit down in a chair and God's gonna hook up a spiritual IV to your arm. Don't you move. Don't you make any effort. You just sit right there, get warm, cover up with a blanket, get a kitty cat on your lap, whatever it is that you do. Okay? And we're just going to get all these promises and all these things and all the things that Christ did, God died to give you. We're going to put them in a spiritual IV bag and we're just going to pump them into your veins. And you don't have to move. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to make any effort. You just sit there and shh while you become a great and powerful, wise man and woman of God. Both of those are as wrong as you'll ever get out. Okay? It's wrong. There, you, you, you're never going to be out work unbelief. Religion is always gonna breed anxiety and stress and fear and guilt and condemnation in your life. And this over here is just as unbiblical. Christ died to give you access. He opened up the door. You've gotta get off your butt, walk through that door and experience the life that he's given you. Peter says, because everything's true, you make every effort to supplement your faith. I never hear people talk about the idea of supplementing their faith. This is not something that I hear taught. It's not something that books are written about, yet... You're going to see in a minute how powerful it is if you do it and how powerful it is if you don't do it. But before we can comprehend it, the main word that I want you to leave here understanding today is this word supplement. Now, we, we get the idea of supplement. Like supplements are like a big deal in our culture, especially if you have anything to do with the gym, supplements, protein, creatine, pre-workout, uh, you know, steroids, all the normal stuff. Whatever it is that, I'm just kidding. Supplementing your stuff, like supplementing your workout. This is, a, this is something we understand, supplements. We understand this. But the problem is, is that the word that Peter actually uses in this scripture is a very, 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 very unique word. And this word doesn't have a word in the English uh, vocabulary that can be accurately translated. So those supplement super works, and you can get the heart of the idea the original word that Peter chooses to use brings this scripture to life in a crazy powerful way. The word that, that he really uses originally is two Greek words put together. The first one is just an intensifier. It just, it's like, it's like a five exclamation points. It's intensifying the main word. And the main word, which I can't pronounce and I'm not gonna try, 
The main word was a word that was originally in its most basic form was given to the idea of taking an ancient chorus or a song and making it a grand production. So what that means is this word is, if I were to, to kind of put this in our world, if I were to take an ancient chorus or an old hymn, like Jesus Loves Me, we all know that song, and I were to go out on this street and you're taking a walk with your family and you're walking down the road and then you round the corner and there I am standing on the street corner and I'm just going, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You probably wouldn't talk to me. You probably wouldn't acknowledge that you go to church here. And you'd probably start immediately Googling other churches in the area. Because what is Jordan doing standing on the street corner, singing Jesus loves me in a horrible falsetto voice, right? Because this isn't my strength. The song's a good song, but... I'm out on the street corner. I'm not vocally talented. I'm not musically talented, but I'm singing the song. The song's a song, but it's not gonna have that big of an impact or effect in your life. Can I get an amen? Can we just be honest? You're not gonna round the corner and this revival breaks out because I'm there in the corner singing, Jesus loves me. But you take this same song and you supply it with 20 of the greatest vocalists alive in the world today. 20 of the greatest women and men whose God just gifted to sing almost like angels. You, you take those 20 people and you supply that song with those 20 people. Now it's gonna become extremely impactful. But if you don't stop there, if you take them and you, you pick them up and you put them in, a, in an auditorium that is built just for music and just for vocals, just for clarity, this is not one of those rooms. This is a grocery store. They butchered cows right there 20 years ago. And so I know there's some people in here worshiping their hearts out and, 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 and there's just like piercing noises coming off the walls because this is not built for music and sound. This was built for cattle and beef and lettuce and tomatoes. And, and I could just keep naming foods, but I won't. This room's different. But if you were to take and put in a room that they spent millions and millions and millions of dollars to design it for the sounds and for the vocals to move. If you supply that song with that and then you surround those 20 great vocalists uh, in this room built for the beautiful sounds of music, then you were to take this great orchestra and you were to surround uh, these 20 vocalists with those great, they're playing the violins and the, uh, not the air instruments, wind instruments and horns and, and stuff. I don't know, trumpets, I don't know. And you were to fill the room up with all of this. Then you were to get artists, the greatest production artists in the world. And they were to like, make a video Video in the background and fill the walls up with this art and you were to have this moment and you filled the room up with 10,000 people. In that moment, as they begin to sing Jesus Loves Me and the violins and the orchestra's going off and, and all of the arts doing their thing and the room's doing its thing, you've supplied this song with all of these things and now what was just an ancient chorus and an old hymn on a street corner has become this great grand production. The word that Peter uses is the word for that process. So the song doesn't change. The song doesn't change. The song is still Jesus Loves Me, but we've supplied it with all of these things that have now made it something so epic and so effective and so impactful. 
It's the same deal like when I go to work out. I work out with my, my buddy Joey, and we do the same workouts. We work out together most days, and we do the same workouts, but I've noticed something in the last three months. He looks like a Greek god, and I'm still chubby, and I don't know why. And I started to ask questions, and, and he does things like sleeps good all night, right? He does things like eats healthy and like, like not a lot of sugar, and, and he, he drinks water, and, and he supplies his workout with this an overall lifestyle of healthiness, whatever. And, and so though we're doing the same workouts, and we're spending the same time in the gym, he's supplementing his workout time with good sleep, and with good food, and with those macros that he needs, and with water, and hydration, and salt, and all the other things that he does. So he has a far superior your effectiveness and impact on his workout because of what he's supplying his workout with. Same deal is if gardening, if we were to take, if you were to take a seed and I were to take a seed and we were to put it into the ground, but I, I just put it into the ground and walked away and you put yours in the ground and you supplied it with good dirt and good fertilizer and with water and with sun and with care and you made sure bugs didn't get on it. When the harvest rolls around, yours is gonna be tremendously more impactful and effective than mine is. Though the seed is the same, you supplied it with these other things. Though the workout's the same, you supplied it with these other things. Though the song is the same, you supplied it with these other things, and it becomes something small, ineffective, and unimpactful to this grand production, to this great workout, to this great harvest. And Peter wants you to understand your faith is the same way. Your faith is the same way. Your faith is powerful. But if you don't supply it with the things uh, that it needs, it's going to be ineffective. It's going to be fruitless in your life. And so this, the message today is not necessarily what we need to supply our faith with because I don't have the time to get into that. I might break those things down this week. I wanna read them to you really fast. But I want you to leave here understanding the idea of supplying your faith and what happens if you do it and what happens if you don't. This is what he says, supply your faith with. And I'll, I'll, we'll break these down later on in life. You can go in and study them yourself. I encourage you to do that. This is what he says. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. He says, so I want you to take your faith, and I'll just give you an example of virtue. Virtue is just moral excellence. It's, it's the integrity and the character of Christ. It's, it's, it's honesty over deceit, right? It's purity over impurity. It's love and intimacy over lust, right? It's, it's the character, the mindset of Christ, the character of Christ. It's, 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 the, it's everything that Christ is, right? That's what's morally excellent. That's what's virtuous. And he says, you can take your faith and you now have access to these things and you can, be, you can begin to pull something like honesty. You can pull that into your life. You can start supplying your faith with this, with this virtue. You can start, you can actually start, you don't have to lie anymore because you can trust God to have your back. You don't have to deceive anymore, or manipulate. You can just be honest and trust that God is gonna work it out. And you can begin to add this to your life. Knowledge, the word of God, the truth of God, the truth of who God is. Supply your faith with knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, that's devotion and reverence, brotherly affection and love. You can begin to take these things 
In the same way that we supplied the song with the vocalists and with the orchestra and with the auditorium and with, with the artists and the production, it changes it. He goes, if you begin to supply your faith with these things, it is going to expand your faith. It's gonna expand your trust. You're gonna to begin to believe these promises and life is going to begin to transform and change and you're gonna to begin to experience an effectiveness and a fruitfulness that you've never really experienced before. It's not that the door has not always been open. It's that you've never walked through it yet. And so I, I, wanna, I want you to see the way he ends this. I'm gonna read the whole thing through really fast. And then I want you to see eight and nine. For this very reason, make every effort, all your energy, all your focus to supplement your faith, to supply your faith with virtue, Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. All right, verse eight. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, so that it doesn't mean that you perfect them. It doesn't mean that, that the first day you start supply your faith with virtue, that you just start to walk in this crazy Moses-like way. But it says that if you begin to possess these, if you begin to uh, supply your faith with this and they're just gradually increasing and gradually growing, if, you, if you're actually getting off the couch and you're making an effort to add these things into your life and they're continually increasing over time, it says they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, so I, I need you to understand it's the reason that you're ineffective and unfruitful isn't because the promises are not true in your life. It's not because there is no condemnation. It's not because the spirit of God's not in you. It's not because you're not saved. It's not because God's not your father. It's not because he doesn't love you. It's not because you've sinned your way out of it. It's not, it's not any of that stuff. It's ineffective and it's unfruitful because God has given you this powerful faith and he's opened up the door to all of these things, like the word of God, like access to the presence of God, like the character of Christ, like true self-control. You have self-control. And he goes, you, you have access to these things and you need to start supplying your faith with them. And if you do this, even if just trying, just making an effort to do this, it's gonna stop you from being ineffective and unfruitful. And then he says something else, and this is where I want to hang out. This is where I want to end the service on. I think this will help us understand why we get where we get sometimes as Christians. Why we get so far from God. Why we, why we get so overwhelmed with sin at certain times in our life, even though we're set free from it. He makes this statement. For whoever lacks these qualities. So the first statement was, if you have them, it's gonna make you effective and impactful. He says, but if you don't have them, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. I wanna make sure that we really understand what, what Peter's saying, because I think Peter's got close to this point in his own life. He said, I want you to understand something. If, if, if you're not supplying your faith with these things, if you're not making an effort 
to access the things that God killed his own son to give you. If you're not making an effort to bring the word of God into your life and to bring self-control into your life, if you're not making this effort and you don't possess these qualities at all, he says, what's gonna happen? And I need you to hear this. What's gonna happen is you're gonna become so nearsighted. Literally in the Greek, it, 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 it's this word that says you're gonna, you're gonna become so focused on what is right in front of your face that you become blind to the things of God. If you're not supplying your faith with this, this is how people drift. This is how, this is how people drift slowly but surely so far away from God that it feels like they never even knew him to begin with. This is how true, genuine Christians throw their lives away because we're not supplying our faith. He goes, when you don't supply your faith, when you're not taking advantage of the things that Christ died to give you, when you're not in your word and you're not praying to the Father and you're not trying to bring self-control, when you're not trying to strive to be like Christ, when there's no effort on your part to supplement your faith, when there's no effort to supplement your faith, it says what's gonna happen is you are going to become so addicted to your flesh, so focused on the culture, so focused on the material world, so focused on the sinful desires in your life, you're gonna become so focused on that, that's all you're gonna see. All you're gonna see is the sinful desires. All you're gonna see is the corporate ladder. All you're gonna see is the material world. All you're gonna see is the culture. All you're gonna see is what the culture says about success. All you're gonna see is what the world offers you. And it's gonna become so close and so nearsighted that it blinds you completely to God and to the things of God. And then in the Greek, it doesn't say this in the English, but in the Greek, in the English is having forgotten that he was cleansed. But it says in that state of nearsightedness, that's so near that it's blinding to the things of God, it says in those moments you will receive forgetfulness. That it's in that blind state that forgetfulness starts to show up in your life and you start to forget that you were even truly saved to begin with you start to forget that Christ died for your sins. You start to forget the promises of God. You start to forget these things. And then you start to live your life as if you were never saved to begin with. And these are the seasons and these are the eras of our life when great, significant, life-altering sin seems to creep in to the life of a believer. And so Peter's saying, listen, I've been down this road before. He said, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, supply your faith with these crazy powerful things that God has made available to you. Make every effort and strive. And he says, listen, I, I wanna be really clear here. The heart of what Paul's saying in Romans 8 and the heart of what Peter's saying is not to condemn you at all. It's not to cause guilt at all. I'm, I don't even think it's there to convict you. I think the Holy Spirit can use anything to bring conviction into our life, but I don't, that's not the heart of Paul, that's not the heart of Peter. What the heart of Paul and Peter are in this moment is they're trying to get you to see and trying to get you to understand that what God has for you in the future is so superior and so great and so powerful to who you are right now. He's trying to get you to start making an effort to get there. Peter says, listen, I look back on my life I saw the arrogant punk that I was. 
I saw the faithless loser that I was. I saw, I had Jesus himself right in front of me and I still screwed the whole thing up. He said, but in his love for me and in his mercy and in his patience and in Christ's endurance and in Christ's faithfulness, he never left me and he never forsook me. He said, and then when I saw his love, I started making these efforts to supply my faith with this. He says, and the more that I supplied my faith with this and the more that I strove after Christ and the more that I went in this direction, he said, the more this world faded away from me, the more that I I could see the things of God and I could get excited about the future of God. And he said, and then one day before I I even realized it, that old man was completely gone and I was somebody brand new, somebody totally different, this powerful, epic man of God that we now know as Peter. But that's not who he started as. And so the heart of the message today, yeah, maybe some of us, maybe we do need some conviction. Maybe the Spirit of God can answer those questions for us and drive us back. But the heart of this is I want you to not be depressed or sad or feel guilty about what was even yesterday but get excited about who you will be six months from now, one year from now, two years from now, five years from now. This is what Peter's saying, listen, the long game here is epic and it's powerful. If you're at a state right now where you're so nearsighted, you're so caught up with the things in this world that you've been blinded to the things of God and you're just being overwhelmed by sin and sinful desires and struggles and there's no real peace in your life, there's no real joy in your life and you're sitting here and you, you know, that's me, man, I'm, I'm so far gone. I want you to understand I've been there in my own life. Peter's been there in his own life. Paul had been there in his own life. This is the path to righteousness. This is the path of transformation. You coming to this clear belief and knowledge, this this truth that no matter where you are, the promises of God are still true in your life. And that even if you have thrown everything away, even if you are at that place where you have, you have literally, you're, you're sitting here this morning, you're at home, you've thrown everything away, you still have a future because of the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And so you've got to not forget that you've been cleansed from your sins. You need to forget the path that you've been walking the last month, six months, six years. And you need to come back to Jesus right here in this moment. Because all of those promises in Romans 8, there's no condemnation. You're filled with the Spirit of God. You're a son and a daughter of God. All of those promises, he's gonna use everything for your good. He's never gonna leave you. He's never gonna forsake you. He has a purpose for you in this life. All of those things are 100% true right here and right now in your life. And so Peter, if he was here, he would tell you, start right now, supplying your faith with these things. Get excited about who you truly are in Christ. Get excited about what God wants to do in your life. Get excited, not about what you've been, but get excited about what you will be six months from now. God never gives up on us. He never forsakes us. He never leaves us. And it is his faithfulness that secures your salvation forever. These promises are true in your life. And Peter says, I want you to supply your faith so that you can believe them in a crazy powerful way and begin to chase them and make every effort in this life. And I wanna close with this one thought. 
the disciples, if you go through and you read the scriptures, they were not top-notch crew. They were not the uh, first round draft picks. The nicest way I can say that. But what God turned them into, what God did in their life, who they died as, were some of the greatest men that ever walked the earth. This will be your story. I'm telling you that right now. I believe that more than anything that I believe in life, this will be your story. It doesn't matter who you were. I can tell you who you are because I believe the word of God. And it doesn't matter what's going on in your life right now. I'm telling you who you will be at the end of it all. You will be a great and powerful man and woman of God because God has decreed it and he's destined it and he's promised it to be so. And he is faithful even when we aren't. And so let that excite us let us that, that spawn that, that chase in us to go after these things because I want to be a great, powerful man of God. I want to be transformed into the image of Christ. I want to live the life Christ died to give me. Amen.